emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris SAGE Institute colleague, Ed Kless. Today, show folks, we are talking about strategic positioning. How's it going, Ed? It's okay. It's okay. My, you know, two people uh, with the Mets organization came down with the Rona. Oh, so. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I'm out of baseball at least until Sunday. Wow, but, wow, that's yeah. that's going to be a problem, man. I, you know, I just read an article about that. There was a baseball column in the Economist, and they were talking about the uh, NBA model and the hockey NHL model about putting the you know the players in a bubble and just mm-hmm, keeping mm-hmm. them there like they do down in Florida and up in Canada. I guess there's two bubbles in Canada where the players are playing, but that seems to be a pretty good strategy. They don't let them well, out. It, strict rules. <laughs> it is until it goes down, right? I mean, yeah. in, until it gets in, because once it, it's a central point of failure. True, right? true. It is a honeypot. Yeah, yeah. Right. So. But, yeah, wow. That's, oh, well, that's too bad. <clears throat> so, boy, do I have just, I have a ton of stuff for the bonus episode, but you know, we'll, we'll get to that uh, <laughs> after this. There's so much going on this week. Uh, we've got virtual conventions and that's about as fun as a zoom meeting. I have to say. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. I've yes. Watch zero conventions. Zero. Yeah. It's uh, when he got nominated and, you know, they had four balloons drop and some streamers. It, it looked like a guy retiring on zoom you know, 65 year <laughs> retirement party. It was like, I was waiting for the gold watch, you know? Um, oh, anyway. Man. So Ed, strategic positioning. Um, yeah. This is a great topic and big, big hat tip and shout out to our Verisage colleague, Tim Williams, because a lot of this material is drawn from his book, Positioning, from Profe- uh, positioning for Professionals, which is highly recommended. It's just such a thought provoking book. And, the thing I guess we need to say about this is this isn't strategic planning, although strategic planning and positioning go together. Of course. Yeah. I think there's a, there is a, a, a relationship, but, but a difference as well. Right. Right. So we're not going to talk about strategic planning because we did that on another show. Uh, I'm sorry, Greg, I didn't note it, the number, but uh, we do have a strategic planning show, but talking about positioning, the, the way Tim, and Tim has just totally, you know, changed my worldview about this uh, as he's really good at doing, but he likes to point out that positioning is all about trade-offs. And we've been talking about generalists versus specialists for a long time. You know, Paul O'Burn's got that really funny video out there with the, the comparing the lights, uh, the light store to Vinnie Powell's international restaurant which has got like every food under the sun right thai chinese and bail bonds and bail bonds and loans and loans loans. um 
which it's just hysterical maybe we can put that video up it's 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 in it's in multiple of our show notes i'm i'm sure from before but um you know it's really important Uh, tim takes that whole generalist first specialist a lot further first by pointing out that when you think about it there's really no such thing as full service you know if you go to most professional websites um like i was looking at one the other day for a law firm and Ed, this law firm does everything. I mean, it's got every type of law you can imagine. And this law firm is like 75 people. It's like, how how can you possibly be good at all this? (laughs) You know, just thinking about it from the customer standpoint, there's, there's just no way. Right. And, and, and Tim is the, the tip is that there's lots of different phrases that are used for this, right? So full service, wide, wide range, full line, complete. And here's the thing, full service is defined by whom? <laughs> by the organization, right? So I was like, right. well, well I, I think full service includes that you pump my gas. Right. It's a completely meaningless phrase to say full service, because how is it that any possible customer is going to interpret that to mean something to, for them? Yeah. He, he, Tim's got a great way of saying this. No client ever buys a wide range of expertise, but rather a specific kind of expertise. You know, that's why we go to a specific surgeon, a heart specialist, cardiologist, uh, orthopedic, uh, whatever, um, mm-hmm. because you're not buying a full range, a wide range of expertise. Uh, it, nobody buys a product or service because it can do everything, but because it can do something and something really well. Mm-hmm. I think this yeah. is and, one of the interesting uh, things about Apple. Yes. And we've had this to d- debate or conversation, you know, um, Alan Weiss is a big believer in you should, you, you, you shouldn't have a specialty. And he talks a lot about the fact that he's a generalist, except when push comes to serve, he's really a special to, specialist in getting people to g- grow their organizations from say a hundred thousand to a million dollars as sole proprietors. So, you know, uh, yeah. he does work with lots and lots of companies, but that's really his area of specialty. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think when you start to scale, you've got to specialize, you know, like Tim puts it, you've got to box yourself in. If, if you're not in a box, you're not following a strategy. No box is no strategy. Yeah. Well, and that's, that, that is something that we did talk about on the strategy planning show, which is the strategy is more about what you're going to say no to versus what you're going to actually do. Right. You know, um, just on that, uh, I just uh, Jonathan Stark uh, really did uh, a great show on this. He and it was it was like five minutes, <laughs> and he yeah. he threw out uh, a definition of strategy that he's kind of morphed from a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, which I had read, and then kind of added some of his twists on it. But just wanted to run this by you: strategy is a concise, high-level approach to achieving an objective by playing strengths against weaknesses in unexpected ways. Now, look, that's a terrible, it's terribly written. I, I, you want to take mm-hmm. your editor pin all over that. That's unquotable. It's not <laughs> memorable. Uh, but, but when you analyze each word, which he did, it makes complete sense. Uh, and especially that last one, unexpected way. The whole point about strategy is it better not be predictable. 
like like Rory said. There Sutherland. better be an innovation. There better be yeah. an innovation behind it. Yeah. yeah, and and it's got to be unpredictable. Otherwise, your enemy's gonna know what you're up to. You know, D Day was unpredictable. They even had decoys yeah. set up to you know fool the Germans. It, it, it it's got to be unexpected. <laughs> yeah, the, what's that famous thing you quote? That's that that scene from Airplane. Where the you know the, the guy is <laughs> there is is holding the light, he p- unplugs the lights or whatever. He goes, you know, turn the lights back on. That no, that's exactly what they'd expect us to do. <laughs> to do. <laughs> but you know, Tim Tim has got this um, concept of of positioning where he looks at four different things that that we'll explore throughout the show. Some of which, again, we talked about in the strategy session. Some we've done on other shows because there's so much overlap here, but he breaks it down between what, how, why, and who, right? And the what is, are your core competencies? Your how is your culture. Your why is your calling or your purpose. And your who are the customers that you serve. And I think that's a really good way of breaking it down. I think so too, because it, it does. It, well, first of all, it's just the four sides of the box, right? And then you move those things in on each other so that you can say we're defining each side of the box. So it's a great metaphor, a great visual when he he presents it. So you see all four sides of that. But beyond that, I you know I think he's even taken it to a, another level where you, the intersection of the the who and the what really make a big difference. I don't know if you've seen some of his later work where he he compares them and he says, Hey, look, you can, you can, you can service a lot of what from a competency standpoint, if your who is really narrow. Right. So take, take, for example, your, your, um, friend who does the only dentists. Yeah. Yep. Right. He, he takes them soup to nuts from the opening of a practice through, you know, passing it down to the next dentist in line to closing up shop. He does absolutely everything cradle to grave with regard to servicing a dentist, but it's only dentist. So his who is extraordinarily narrow, but his what is pretty broad. Whereas somebody could take it the other way and say, no, I'm, I'll, I'll take any who, but I do estate planning and only estate planning. And I'm great yeah. at estate planning. Yeah. And I, but, but I'll serve estate planning for whomever. Uh, I, I can I can do it for absolutely anyone because it, that's my absolute area of special uh, of specialty. So um, I, I really like that that you can swing one versus the other to arrive at a really good area of focus. Who and then what? Uh, but what you don't want, you don't want a wide who and a wide what. That's the problem, right? That that that's the all things to all people, full service that will never get you there. Yeah, and I love the way he said, you know, he he describes this as saying narrow is not the same thing as small. And he's you know, just got a picture of a Starbucks cup. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, when you think about it that way. Um, and and you know, the the statistic that we've we've thrown out before, but wasn't it uh, at one point HP Hewlett Packard had fifteen thousand SKUs while Apple had something like sixty-five. And, and that's still probably, it's still probably around that ratio, I would imagine, for both companies. Yep. Yep. I would, I would think so, too. I mean, and, and Tim says, then, then you pay what's called the complexity tax, right? He, to, to configure a system 
that for with Hewlett Packard stuff is almost impossible and you need an area you need someone to focus on it and be able to do it for you that you have to hire somebody really to buy a server for you whereas Apple you know that yes there's lots of different there's configurations but compared to Hewlett Packard it's nothing it's nothing. really really small now I remember when they brought Steve Jobs back as you know ICEO because it was an interim thing maybe you know they weren't sure uh, and he looked at the list of just just the Macintosh models that they had for the computers. And, and back then, and I remember those days, they, they did. They had like 30 or 20 different types that you could buy. He goes, I wouldn't even know what to buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just said, this is ridiculous. And that's when he came out with those, you know, uh, fruit colored, what do they call those things? iMacs or whatever. The iMac. That was the original he, iMac. That was the original iMac. That's that he, yep. he just narrowed the line because he said, this is, this is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just kept, kept it clear and concise. So great stuff. Well, already Ron, we're up against our first break. Want to remind you that you can get a hold of either of us by sending an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. The website, as we've mentioned previously, is the soul of enterprise.com. There you can see show notes from all previous 304 shows plus previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are talking strategic positioning today on The Soul of Enterprise. Hat tip, of course, to our Verisage colleague, Tim Williams, who's been on the show a couple of times and have talked about 
positioning, but also just some of the great stuff that he's done with advertising agencies throughout the world. We're talking about his, what he calls his strategic box and positioning box and the four sides of it, the what, how, why, and who. Uh, Ron, let's start off talking a little bit about the why, and, and we can do this pretty quickly because this this one's been diced to death a number of times. It, it, it's amazing how clear and concise the book start with why and the and Simon Sinek circles still really sums it up right uh, I think he did a great job with that and I think it's it plays just as well today as it did even 10 years ago when we first encountered it that TED talk that he did which I believe was even a TEDx talk that just right. just made it big time and you know it, it, the people buy what you do or people buy why you do it not what you do and which is why the intelligent companies start with the their belief system why it is they do it to do a, you know apple wants to put a dent in the universe right and everything else follows from that he talks about martin luther king as having having a you know he did, had a dream he didn't have a plan <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and and it's got to it's got to start at that level. But we have a Verisage colleague who has done perhaps I think one of the most outstanding jobs of any professional firm in putting together a why. Mark Chin, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mark? Yeah, I I love this because Mark is a family lawyer in uh, Jacksonville, Mississippi, and imagine you're a customer and you have reached the decision, you know, to have a divorce to go through that process. Uh, that's pretty stressful time. And if you go and you search, and I actually did this once, uh, uh, go around and search for divorce attorneys in your local area and you get to their websites and you'll read all sorts of stuff about their credentials. And I've been a member of the bars family practice unit association since, you know, the Johnson administration and all this stuff. And yet none of it really speaks to you. It doesn't resonate as, as a potential customer. But when you land on Mark's page for Chin and Associates, he says, I believe in handling divorce. So there is a family left standing, even if there is no marriage. Now that gives you an idea of this guy's attitude, what he believes in, what he's passionate about. I mean, that gives you a lot of context in one single sentence and it, it shows you that it shows you as humanity, but it also just says, it, it, you know, that's something that resonates with you. That's going to be very appealing. And that's just going to blow away at that point. Nobody really cares about his credentials and, you know, how many books he's written. And I just, I just think that's so great. And I guess the other point at about the, the why statement is it's got to start with, I believe, or we believe, uh, I've always liked your, your why statement. I believe that entrepreneurs are, continue the work of creation. Yeah, it took me a couple of iterations to come up with that one, and I reserved the right to change it in 15 minutes, even by the end of the show, although sure. it's been remained pretty solid for, for quite some time. Yep. And, you know, to uh, one of the other things about this why statement is it's got to be beyond just making money, right? It's really got to convey the purpose of the organization, or Simon would say, uh, why you get out of bed in the morning and why should anybody care? Uh, it's interesting, Ed, you know, Simon was a former advertising guy. I don't know what agency he came out of, but when I first met Tim Williams, and this was back in 2003 or so, or four, maybe, maybe, maybe a year later than I met you, I can't remember the exact year, but he was talking about purpose long before Simon's Ted talk. He had me read a couple books on purpose. 
Uh, and he drilled that into my head long before I, I, I even knew who Simon Sinek was. I totally agree. And I, I've had a, a conversation with a couple of companies or firms the last couple of weeks. And we've, we've talked about this because I think that, and this is bears repeating. I know we've talked about that on the show, but there's a difference between purpose and result, especially with regard to profitability, right? And the, the great example that John Mackey shares in his book, Conscious Capitalism, that, that profit is like red blood cells in your body. It's a necessary condition for survival, right? We All of us have to produce red blood cells in order to continue living and breathing. And in fact, one of the definitions of death is the body's inability to produce red blood cells. But none of us wakes up in the morning with, you know, red blood cell production on the to-do list, right? That's <laughs> not like, oh, got to produce red blood cells today. I better jump on that pretty quickly. Because it's it is the result of all of the other things we do, the purpose, our purpose in life, to get up and do and go about doing live, living our lives, but it's a necessary condition. And I I really think have taken that analogy to heart because I think it's an important one. I think that people miss the fact that the business is not not in business to make a profit. It does so in order to survive, but profit is not the focus of the business. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other the other question to test your why is if your people were volunteers instead of employees, what would they be volunteering for? That's a fan, that's a beautiful question in my opinion mm-hmm. because that really really lays it on the line. I mean, if knowledge workers are volunteers, as Peter Drucker wrote, and we've been saying since we started this show, we might have even said it on the first show. Uh, then that that's a great question to think about. Because it wouldn't be well to increase our realization rates by three percent or whatever, you know, to have the highest <laughs> billing rate. I mean, that's that's not going to inspire anybody to do anything. Yeah, yeah, and and I do like the language that Tim also brings up in here is things like what do we preach, what are we crusading against, what do we fight for. I like those strong verbs that you can put in place to to say really test it to make sure hey is is this is this what we're what we're really doing here and you know the word of course that Father Sirico would use would be vocation or calling right right and your purpose or your why should be debatable. It's, you know, at one point, Verisage used to run around and say, oh, the only place time spent should matter is in prison. Uh, that's contestable. People can argue with it, but that's that's a stance that, you know, we, we fully took. And uh, it, you need to take a stand. And I don't mind companies taking a stand, you know, standing for something. Yeah, they're going to alienate their a good, maybe a good chunk of their base. Like, wasn't it Michael Jordan Ed, who said, Hey, Republicans buy sneakers too. And that's why he right. tried to stay above the political fray. But, you know, look at Nike, disagree with them or, you know, agree with them. They kind of have taken a stand over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, and people can, can make that adjustment, whether they want to continue to buy from them or not. And I, I, I think that that's perfectly acceptable. As long as, again, you're, you're saying that, Hey, this is what, the shareholders understand that this is what they're getting into as well. Sure. Sure. Just like Maggie does with his, doesn't he contribute so much to charity of before tax profit or something? Yep. That's correct. That's correct. So yeah, highly recommend. I I don't recommend Simon Sinek's book, especially after watching Greg do his routine of the review. 
at the at one <laughs> right. of the Age events, but I do recommend. We'll see if we can dig that one up because it it, it is very <laughs> true. It's like it's like and and in the first chapter we use Apple as an example, and in the fourth chapter we use Apple as an example. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, and then in this positioning box, he, he the competencies or the core competencies, and what he, what we're talking about here is. You know, what does your organization do particularly well, perhaps better than most firms in our industry? You know, what's the one thing your firm is known for? You can usually eke out one thing that, that a firm is known for, as, as Tim taught, taught us too, that a brand can only stand for one thing, right? So there is probably one thing that you know that you're known for. Um, of course, what outcomes are your customers seeking? Um, and do you own any strategic assets? And by that, you know, certain types of intellectual capital that, that may be demonstrated in terms of specific processes or, uh, you know, systems that you've devised to help customers achieve a particular outcome. I remember Ed, one firm had developed uh, a, a protocol and a system for tracking a particular type of government grant for certain not-for-profits. And I have a friend who's a CFO in a not-for-profit, and she said this thing was outrageously helpful because it, it, it enabled us to do everything we needed to do, not only for the compliance end of it with the government, but for just tracking the money effectively, making sure it was spent. Because it was amazing. And this was the only firm out there with something like this. So it's those types of intellectual capitals and skill sets that, that might be embedded in your organization that really highlight your core competencies. Well, when I've worked with organizations on this, this is one of the, the the slides and the questions I think where they really struggle with. When when you ask them, "What's the one thing your firm is most known for?" and then you say, "It are, is is anybody else preaching that as well?" because they'll say, "Oh, it's our customer service." <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You and every you and everybody else, right? The, the, are you really that great at customer service? Could, could do people compare you to uh, Zappos, Neiman Marcus? Yeah, yeah Zappos. Yeah. Is that who they're? Is that who they're comparing you to? Yeah. No, Zappos. they're comparing to the others. Others in our industry. No, then no, no. then you know you, you you can't go there. And then the other thing that I I really like about trying to get around your what, your competencies again, is asking this question. And gosh, this is this is one of those almost Dracarian questions because it's so simple, but it's really hard to answer. What outcomes are our customers seeking? Yep. It's just, it's so simple, but man, try to try to talk to a professional especially about that. And they'll tell you the stuff that they do. They'll tell you, oh, they, they look for accurate financial statements. Really? That's what your customers are seeking. Accurate financial statements. Really? That's what they yeah. <laughs> or like, Come on. <laughs> it's the best curbside appeal, you know, for the landscaper. That's what I'm really right. after because I'm trying to sell my house. And that's as good as mm -hmm. Drucker's question, you know, what are your customers value? And, and that's yeah. another really hard thing to answer because we, we just don't think in terms of outcomes for the customer unless we are a customer, then we think about it continuously. It's, it's easy when you're a customer. <laughs> it's, it's so easy when you're the customer. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, let's see. I know we're up against it here, but um, uh, 
the uh, the other thing about this was I just, it, it, you know, your firm is distinguished by the customers that you don't have and that you don't serve. Um, and it's, it's, it's really true. You, you, you can't be all things to all people. You're not tequila, right? You, you can't make everybody happy. You just can't. You're mm-hmm. not tequila. Uh, and it's, it's really important to, to stay focused. And that's kind of what he's really driving home with all of this. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well, before we go to our break upcoming on the next thing that we're going to talk about is we are going to talk about those who and really dig down deep around customers. And then we'll get even into the how, which is some of the cultural aspects of the organization. But right now, we want to remind you that if you want to listen to this show without commercial interruption and hear the fantastic banter between Ron and I during those commercial breaks, place to go for that is patreon.com slash T-S-O-E, patreon.com slash T-S-O-E. Sign up and you can become a member that doesn't get the commercials or you can go all the way on up and be a full sponsor, which enables you to get our bonus episodes, the bonus me level. But right now, a word from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about strategic positioning, and Ed, we're talking about the the positioning box that you put yourself in. And we've already talked about your why, your purpose, your calling, your what, your core competencies. Let's move on to who, your customers, and there's some really good questions to ask about your firm's customers. Uh, what kind of customers have we been most successful attracting in the past? What characterizes the type of assignments we have completed over the years? Which industries or business categories do we know best? 
what internal stakeholders do we know best? That's that's a very interesting question because it's really true that sometimes you find that you're having conversations with the same person, the same position internally amongst your customers. Like accounting firms might deal with the CFO, marketing agencies might always deal with the CMO, but you may need different language depending on who you're talking to internally. Yes, yeah, so true. And this happens a lot in the space that I grew up on, which is software implementation, because sometimes you're the person that you're working most closely with is the business owner or CEO of the organization. Other times it's the controller or CFO. And in other certain circumstances, it's directly with the, the, the technology person or the CIO person in charge of the technology. And you really have to try to seek that out when you're working in this space, because sometimes they are the decision maker, but sometimes they're just the one who, who can just say no and can't say yes. So you have to try to figure that that piece out as well. But that is a great question about thinking about what internal stakeholders do we know with know and, and work with best inside organizations because that's where your target then can become. Uh, you know uh, these these questions of of Tim's. I, I, it, it's funny. I have I've presented this stuff in sometimes hour long presentation formats, and sometimes I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the the people because gosh. These, these questions, they, they, they should literally be a day or more conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because they really make, they're profound. They're, yep. they're a beautiful question in Warren Berger's phrase, for sure. Yep. Uh, I remember one at the agency on their website, they, their, one of their landing pages was, you know, click here if you're a CMO, click here if you're a COO, click here if you're the CEO. And what was really cool about it, it was just different language different narratives for each one of those categories because they do have different concerns and, and different things that, that they worry about or that they, they're, they're interested in. And I just thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, re- really, really smart. Um, you know, I think that it gets over overplayed a little bit. A lot, there's a lot of work done in with customer journeys nowadays, which, uh, and, and, Put, putting together these the the their the specific journey for the specific person, not quite sure if I'm totally there, but in terms of creating marketing messages for people, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I remember uh, in in uh, Dr. Paul's book, Paul Thomas, the DPC startup, he has he did a whole persona thing, so he's got he's got like a persona for his you know typical patient, and I mm-hmm. forget what it was, but you know it was blue collar worker and they might shop, you know, at Whole Foods once a month or something. I mean, it was something very specific, um, mm-hmm. but it did kind of give you an idea of who his target patients were. What was his sweet spot? Yep. And the other question I, I really like to think about too, because I think it opens up other opportunities is who are our customers customers? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's really interesting to ponder, especially, you know, for accountants or lawyers B2B that are dealing and consulting with businesses. You want to think about their customers, what their concerns are, because maybe there's things you can do to really help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- I, I think that's something missed. Uh, David Maester talked a lot about that in his work on positioning as well. And he, he actually has a, a, a pretty interesting intersection. He says, what, what, what are the skills that we are, can be known for? 
And what do we know about our customers and their customers, right? The customer's customer story. And how do we marry those two together to create something new for them? And it's a great innovation thought experiment to be able to do those, those two things. Because oftentimes some of the stuff that you can do, that you do well, would not only pertain to your direct customers, but the customer's customers as well. And I think that's, and can you create an offering through that channel of your customers to fi find a way to seek out and service those other folks? Right. For instance, I'll just use us as an example. We run around and we help professional firms with their pricing. And mm -hmm. one of our first messages is there's a great duality to this because everything we're going to share with you today uh, is applicable to your customers as well. Yep. And so we've turned a lot of different firms into, you know, pricing consultants out there helping their customers with their pricing because every business struggles with it. Yes, absolutely. Still, which I appreciate because I think it's long-term, the Ed and Ron Full Employment Act, still a lot of people struggling with pricing despite the great efforts of, of folks like Kevin Mitchell and the Professional Pricing Society. But you know, one of the more the profound things that Tim talks about after talking about the, these questions is he said that your firm is distinguished by the services and customers you don't have. Yeah. And Man, I think that that that's something to really think long and long and hard about as well. And and you know that's a quote from an advertising agency. Uh, it was an article or something where he was asked, you know, what, um, you know, what kind of customers do you really want? What do you, you know, is there anything you'll say no to? And he said, Oh no, we're very specific. And he he kind of said that line that our, you know, just look at uh, our customer list and then think about who's not on it. <laughs> uh, and that's how we're, that's how we define ourselves. And like they wouldn't do cigarette companies and they wouldn't do politicians and I think alcohol or something. Um, but it's, it's really true. And, and that's also about focus. I, there's a story in the Walter Isaacson book, Ed, uh, on Steve jobs, the bi uh, bi biography on jobs and jobs used to go to his key people and say, give, get, you know, let's come up with 10 ideas that Apple should focus on over the next, you know, five, 10 year kind of long-term planning mm -hmm. thing. And they'd come up with this list of 10 and he'd sit there and scratch out seven of them. <laughs> and he'd say, no, no, we're only going to do these three because then we can be world best and we can focus all of our resources on these three things. Cause you just can't, you, you know, you just can't do everything. Well, it's a direct quote from Steve Jobs in one of his keen Apple keynote presentations where he said, I'm most proud of what Apple has not done. Yeah, yeah. So. Which you really got to do a double take on that, but it, it makes so much sense. The other thing that I love that Tim does in his presentations, and I've seen him do this so many times, he says you go to a typical uh, professional firm's website and it, it, it'll say, you know, have their value statement or their anchor statement or their missions, you know, whatever. And it includes the words like excellence, quality, partnership, professionalism, tailored solutions, leading provider, proven result. You know, he says all of these things are not a positioning strategy. <laughs> he says, you would, would, would you want to hire somebody who's not professional? Would you want to hire somebody who doesn't have excellence or who has poor quality or no results? It's just, it's not a positioning statement. It's, it's too internally focused. Yeah. It's just platitudes of, and again, nobody has on their website, you know, we, we, we're, we might, might not be good, but we're slow. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. So 
and the the fourth and last box is the uh the how the culture and of course culture what what's that famous line ed from um uh was it was one of the nazis one of the leading nazis gearing anytime i hear the word culture i go for my gun <laughs> i go <laughs> for my pistol <laughs> um but you know culture obviously every organization has a culture but one of the things that we talk about is how how does your culture differentiate you um tim used to express this by asking how is it that you think differently how are you differentiated by how you think not what you think mm-hmm. but how you think and i always thought that was a really interesting question yeah no it, it is and as, again hard one to answer. I mean, you, you ask that to a group of people and say, all right, let's talk about that. And they're like, um, can we have four days, please? I mean, to, to have come up with something. No. <laughs> and, and of course, this is what bugs me about the billable hour and, and even to scale it down further, the timesheet, because that, that gets in the culture and that just becomes part of your DNA. It's like fish and water. You just don't recognize it. Yet your communication, your attitude, about everything's about time, whether you're measuring it for revenue or whether you're measuring it for cost, which it's terrible at both jobs. And yet <laughs> it becomes part of the culture. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to change. True, because it's it's just completely embedded in really who they are as people in a lot of ways. You know, the the law firms and lawyers who or prided themselves on being a thousand hour, thousand dollars an hour lawyers, et cetera, that kind of thing. Right. And I, I, I love the, uh, what are our firsts and milestones? I remember being at Disney university, which, you know, the, the, the course that they run everybody through that, that works there is called traditions or Disney traditions. I forget the exact title, but, uh, everybody goes through it from the CEO on down and, it really does lay out the milestones of the Disney organization, whether it was their movies or the, you know, the first theme park or Walt's vision for the first theme park and all of that. And it just, it keeps that culture going. And that's why people say, well, what would Walt do? Well, that's part of their culture. Um, it's a defining element. And I think FedEx is another organization that has an incredibly strong culture um, because the story about Fred Smith taking an airplane, taking his payroll money, <laughs> putting it on the table at Vegas, uh, you know, in order to make payroll, that's a true story. And when those checks were cut, he put notes in there that said, you know, Ed, be great. If, you know, go ahead and cash this, but it would be great if you didn't have to. Ed, some of those people still have those checks on the wall in their office at FedEx. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that's where, where, you know, organizations like Herb Kelleher and Southwest airlines and John Mackey and, and, and Steve jobs at Apple just, just really come out and and shine. I mean, I, 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 there's not everything that I love about Apple's culture and what Steve jobs did. I don't know if I would have wanted to work for the guy, quite frankly, Sure, Sure. but I'm, I'm glad though there were those, those who did want to work for him and they would, the products that they have produced that we continue to use to this day. So. And everybody says who do, who did, you know, find working for him challenging, but they're kind of like a tough teacher that you hate at the time. He brought mm-hmm. out the best in me, right? He, yeah. he, he made me do things I never thought I could do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, because they were, they were bought in 
they were bought into the the purpose. They were bought into what what he was trying to sell. He was trying to make a dent in the universe. That that that's where they tied in. So it it connects. It's all connected. That's where the culture then connects back to the calling. Right. Right. Well, Ed, we're up against it. And folks, you can uh, send Ed or me an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. We will post full show notes on today's conversation at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today please for the love of god make it stop when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about strategic positioning. We're talking about the positioning strategy box that, that our colleague Tim Williams advocates that you put yourself in. If you're not in a box, you have no strategy. And we've talked about your core competencies, the what of your positioning, the who, your customers, the how, your culture, the why, your calling. And now we want to kind of talk about how do you validate your positioning strategy? And I really, there's another great set of questions here, Ed, I just, that I love. But the first one is, does it allow for clear identification of target prospects? You know, this is what's so great about being in a box. My buddy that does nothing but dentists in his CPA firm, he knows exactly. In fact, he's got it even more at a micro level, the kind of dentists that interest him. You know, um, you know, maybe it's cosmetic dentistry or, or whatever, but he, he doesn't take all comers. In fact, he turns away much more. It's probably up to two-thirds now. Of, of the people that come to him, he says no to because they just don't interest him because maybe they're just a you know run-of-the-mill general practice and that that's not the kind of dentist he wants um, but it really makes it easy for him to target his is the right customer 
Yeah, what I really like about the way Tim sets this up, these seven questions, is that he we, we've gone through this whole exercise of asking all of these open-ended questions, and now he fires back at you these seven questions that are closed probe, yes or no, and <laughs> evaluate what you uh, what 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 you have come up with against this. And I, first of all, it's just brilliant question asking. It's just the, the way that he lays it out. So you mentioned the first one. The second one is like it, right? Does it help us say no to the wrong prospects? But the third one is the one that I want to spend a little bit of time on to say, does it help expand our geographical footprint? And when I first heard Tim talk about this, uh, it, you know, I really was thinking, well, do we really want to serve beyond a geography? Because at, at the time I was very much rooted in, well, we need to be face-to-face with our customers. We need to have that interaction. Boy, first of all, was I wrong, but the, under the under the horrible hashtag of now more than ever with with COVID nineteen and our inability to to travel and see people face to face, does it matter whether they're across the street or across the state or across the country? Yeah, no, no doubt. It's one of the greatest things about specialization. We we'd all fly to the Mayo Clinic up in, you know, Rochester to to consult with a doctor. Now, of course, we might do it by telemedicine these days, but. We're not going to do that for a general practitioner. And it's really true that specialization does give you a, a much wider a geographical territory to draw customers from, the right customers. We, we have a mutual friend, Ed, who, who does nothing but microbreweries, CPA mm-hmm. firm. And he's got customers around the world. He's got them in the UK. He's got them in New Zealand, Australia. And he's in Florida. Mm-hmm. And so it really yep. does expand the geographical footprint. And, and another question is, does it create strong barriers to entry? And this is where you can, you know, also have proprietary technology or systems or, or you know, I think of uh, uh, the poison pill, right? What I still consider one of the best uh, successes in marketing that a professional firm's ever done is, is uh, Wachtell Lipton's poison pill. Um, and, it, you know, that results in fewer competitors, even though other law firms are capable of doing it. Mind of the customer, that's like buying a box of Tide. You're, you know, you're, you're buying a specific service to do something very specific, and it's at the top of the value curve. You know, you're, you're fending off a hostile takeover, basically, by swallowing this poison pill. Yeah, it, it, it's, it sort of flies in the face of the, you know, does it make us easier to do business with? That's not what he's talking about here in terms of barrier to entry. He's saying, is there a hurdle that the customer has to cross for you to consider them to be? a strong prospect or a strong somebody, someone that you, that you want to serve. Right. That too. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't allow us to charge higher prices, obviously right in our wheelhouse specialization obviously allows you to charge higher prices, but so does just value pricing. Even if you're just doing run of the mill things, there's always way to, to uh, extract a little bit more pricing power. Well, which is why though value pricing is, is part of is it can be a strategic element. Absolutely. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is strategic. It's certainly not tactical. Right. Uh, and of course, does it make our business development cycle shorter and less expensive? Uh, there's a lot of other things uh, under this validating too. Does it make your messaging, your communication easier you know, your marketing messages, all of that. And if you just think about it, if you're, if you're in a box, if you're focused, then all those messages become much easier. It also helps you create or uh, attract the right type of talent as well. Mm -hmm. Somebody driven by your purpose, your calling, 
uh, and very interested in, you know, the sector that you serve. Yeah. Well, now, Ron, you've read a book a number of years ago that I've heard you talk about called uh, What It Takes by Charles Ellis. And this is, he says, the seven secrets to success from the world's greatest professional firms. Why don't you quick lay those seven secrets of success that, that, uh, that Ellis lays out? Yeah, I thought, you know, it's, I usually don't recommend a book like this, but this one was interesting because he looked at what he thought were the, the most successful professional firms. That's, that's what caught my interest. It's like, well, how would you even come up with that list? But he, he's got a good list here. Kravath, the law mm-hmm. firm, Capital Group, which I think is called something else now and I can't remember, Goldman Sachs, McKinsey, Mayo Clinic. Now, mm-hmm. that's, that's a great list, even though every one of these entities has had their up and downs, right? Mm-hmm. But that's yep. part of his argument is they've weathered those storms and they've transformed, they've adapted, and they've come through even stronger. And the, the seven things that he found that all of these firms have in common is they, they have a strong purpose, right? The Mayo Clinic's purpose, for example, is we believe the needs of the patient come first. <laughs> what, what could be more clear than that? They mm-hmm. have a strong culture. You know, it's almost like it's cult-like, right? The word culture is uh, dry from cult, right? <laughs> um, yep. Recruiting. They're, they're constant talent scouts. They'll hire even when they don't have a need because they always they realize that human capital is everything, and they're constantly on the lookout. So, and it's everybody in the organization is scouting for talent, not just the HR department or the people department or whatever they call it. Um, they're constantly developing talent with lifelong learning. These outfits invest an enormous amount in education unlike a lot of uh, professional firms that we find that just do the minimum. Like there's this amazing statistic from the AICPA that the average CPA firm in the United States spends more on their internet than on CPE, which I find astonishing, but Mm -hmm. it, you know, uh, they're, they've all got an incredible client focus. Um, their goal is to exceed expectations every day. Um, Mayo clinic is, is fantastic at this. Uh, they're all, heavily invest in innovation and they all have visionary leadership. It's, it's not just about, Oh, we're going to increase our realizations by 10%. It's, it's no, we're, we're here to, you know, make a difference, make an impact. And so I just found that very validating to almost everything that we just talked about with positioning. Yeah. And it's completely up and down within the organization too. And I think that you make a great point around recruiting. Like I said, it's not just the people in HR. It has to be people out there saying, hey, I think we should hire this person I came across and she was just absolutely fantastic. Well, what's she going to do for us? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> get, 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 get her in somewhere. And this is my, my, one of my favorite stories about my mentor, Howard Hansen, who was recruited by Doug Burgum with the, with the notion of, well, what am I going to do for you? How, for, for you, Howard asked Doug and Doug says, I, I don't know. We'll figure it out when you get here. And his, his actual first title was the vice president of something important someday. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, who also has got that <laughs> attitude is, uh, Ricardo Semler from, mm-hmm. you know, Semco. In Semco. Yeah. He'll, he, he, he goes, we hire people all the time. We have no idea what we're going to do with them, <laughs> but we Great. Just, you know, we just think they're talented and they're creative, but yeah, that's, that's really important. We, and 
you know, a lot of firms don't think that way. They only, they only hire when they need more capacity because mm-hmm. they're busting at the seams. And that's the wrong time to be kind of scrambling around looking for talent. Yep, absolutely. Good so, stuff. Ed, this was, this was fun. Thanks again. Hat tip to Tim Williams. Please, folks, check out his book, Positioning for Professionals. It's a couple hundred pages, but it's concentrated like you wouldn't believe. What's coming up next week, Ed? Next week, Ron, we are honored to have actually one of my SAGE colleagues, our Chief Technology Officer for Global, Aaron Harris, the mastermind behind SAGE Intact, is going to pay, pay us a visit. Awesome. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, at 4 p.m. Eastern time. In the meantime, check us out, thesoulofenterprise.com, and we will have show notes on our conversation today. Also, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.